Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. But don't worry, it's not just me. Today, I'm joined by Annette Franz. Annette is an internationally recognized customer experience thought leader, coach, keynote speaker, and author. She has 30 years of CX experience and is the founder and CEO of CX Journey Inc., a customer experience consultancy. Her newest book is called Built to Win, and it's available anywhere fine books are sold. Our topic of discussion, which is aptly at the heart of her book, is all about creating a customer-centric culture at your organization. If you truly want to be customer-obsessed, your company needs to build the right foundation. It's vital that leaders set the tone for putting the customer at the heart of everything your company does. But what about everybody else? How do you make sure every decision your organization makes by every employee starts with a customer in mind? And in that size, that all starts with culture. Hey, Annette, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be a great conversation. So you just released a book, I think within the last few weeks, it's called Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture, love the alliteration, that drives value for your business. You've, you've got, I see like a framed version behind you over there. Tell us a little bit about the book. What's your elevator pitch for Built to Win? A couple different angles that I usually talk about it. First of all, it's really designed to help you build that winning organization, right? Based on the 10 foundational principles that really, A, help you deliberately design that customer-centric culture, but then ultimately drive value for customers and for the business. I wrote it because I wanted to really inspire leaders to think differently about how they design their business and how they design their culture. And I also wrote it because there's a lot of confusion out there, I think, about what it means to be customer-centric. I view that as an organization-wide kind of thing, how we do business, how we do things, versus an individual sort of hero employee here or a customer-centric message there, that kind of thing. So I wanted to just get the word out there that it really is an enterprise-wide thing. You know, it really is about the how we do things around here and it is about the culture. Why do you think there's so many misconceptions about what it means to be customer-centric? I don't know. I mean, right now I'm in the middle of a, a conversation about that on LinkedIn as well, where people are like, well, you can have a customer-centric leader or you can have a customer-centric employee thinking that, well, the employee is focused or centered around the customer, everything that they do. And it's like, well, again, that you know, I use that term hero employee. We want it to be about the culture and not just about an individual or an individual department or an individual message because Customers are looking for, you know, that seamless and consistent experience. And so if I call today and I've got a great experience because somebody has put me first, right? The agent has put me first or the salesperson has put me first and has made sure that they're listening and understand my needs and all of that. And then I call again tomorrow and the person just kind of brushes me off and says, you know, is sort of has a, what do you want <laughs> attitude? That's like dealing with two different companies on two different days, right? And so if we make it about the culture, if we make it about the foundation, if we make it about how we do things around here, everybody, then customers will always have that seamless and, and consistent experience across the board for sure. And I feel like you chose the word culture very specifically. You could have been designing a customer-centric company or thought process or something like that. So so let's define what culture is. We, we don't have to pull out a dictionary, but like, how do you think about what, what is a culture in general? Yeah, I typically look at it as core values plus behaviors. Culture is really your norms, your beliefs, your values. And like I said, how we do things around here. I think that's sort of become a, a generic way of looking at cultures, how we do things around here. And that's because we have those core values and we've defined the acceptable and unacceptable behaviors around those core values. 
And then employees will always know what's right and what's wrong, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. So that to me is really the essence of culture. And let's dive into those two parts. So, I mean, I would kind of think of it as, you know, core values are the things that you say that you you believe in, you're kind of North Stars, and then the behavior is actually walking the walk. Like, can you break down like what those two pieces actually look like? Yeah. So for the core values, you certainly want to have some customer driven values in there, right? You know, a lot of companies have, you know, integrity and safety and, you know, they've got all these entrepreneurial spirit or whatever it is, right? I mean, those are fine if you take the time to also define them around the customer. But I think about customer driven values as things like we put people first, our customer relationships or, or relationships in general are critical for us or Zappos deliver wow through service, you know, those kinds of things are customer-driven core values. And then when, when we take them to the next step and we say, okay, the behaviors, what are the acceptable behaviors? What does it mean? What does this core value mean? What do I do as a result of this core value? And what do I not do, right? The unacceptable behaviors. And as a result of that, and then what are the outcomes? If I you know, take this core value and I act on this core value the way that you have outlined the behaviors, what are ultimately the outcomes for the employee, for the customer, and for the business? So I think that's really important. And I think once we have that defined, the core values and the behaviors, the next thing that's really important is we need to socialize them, right? We've got to get them out there. They can't just be posters on a wall and we've got to operationalize them. So we hire, we fire, we promote, we develop policies and processes, we make decisions, we interact with each other, with our customers based on those core values. So we've always got those core values in mind. I'm always trying to figure out what differentiates companies who say they're customer-centric from ones who actually are. Every company, even ones who give you terrible customer service, say they're customer-centric. But this implementation piece seems to be where Annette believes the difference lies. There are a lot of companies who say it. You know that they're just saying it. You don't feel it when you interact with them. You don't have a great experience with them, right? And you have that inconsistent experience. You have, you have that choppy experience that feels like you're dealing with, you know, five different companies if you interact in, with five different, you know, people or five different touch points, right? So it really is critical that the leadership is on board. They're committed to designing this culture. I just shared a quote this morning on Instagram. It was something along the lines of the culture is really the worst behavior that a leader will allow, right? That's that's going to shape your culture. So, you know, culture is you get what you allow or you get what you deliberately design. And so if leaders are all on board, committed, aligned across the organization, and they're not just talking the talk, right? They're certainly walking the walk and they're modeling it. They're reinforcing it with their employees and all of that. That's when we see business that's uh, truly going to be customer centric, right? So we, you're going to see it in the outcomes for the business as well. You're going to see it in the outcomes for employees, for customers, and for the business. A great example is Zappos. You know, when Tony Shea came in as CEO and they implemented these 10 core values, and they live those core values. You can go to their website. You can see the core values. You can interact with them. You can call them. You can you hear stories about how they live those core values. And it's there. And the company is successful. And they are so successful, you know, they got acquired by Amazon, you know. So not a bad exit there, right? So I think that there are real outcomes when we take the time to design and deliberately design this customer-centric culture. For sure. And I, th I think we've all been at companies where, you know, they have their their guiding principles, maybe they're painted on the wall, but they're not actually, you know, ingrained in the society at, at the company. And and I think 
one really important way to think about these guiding principles and then the behaviors that follow them, and you touched on this a little bit, is it's kind of like a framework for thinking. When you're the average, you know, frontline employee, you have to make a ton of decisions every day that impact the customer. And it's like, how do you make the right decisions? So when you're presented with this framework of, you know, we always have to do the thing that's going to make the customer happy or whatever it might be, you might not always make the perfect decision, but at least you're kind of working within that framework that the leadership team has said, like, they put the stake in the ground, like, this is how we're going to operate our company. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the leadership part is so key. You know, they've got to model the behaviors that they expect or that are a part of this culture, this customer centric culture. They've got to reinforce it. They've got to recognize it. They've got to reward it. They've got to talk about it. They've got it. They really do have to walk the walk. You know, if you're if you're going to say that you are a customer centric organization, but you still start all your conversations with the metrics and the revenue and the growth and acquisition and all of those kinds of things, or you incent your um, salespeople on how many customers they bring in rather than that, you know, and, you, and you're talking all day about commissions and metrics and those kinds of things. Then you're talking about those first, rather than talking about the customer first and the people first and listening to customer stories and, and just making the, putting the customer front and center. It's a whole different way of running the organization. And, and it's a whole different mindset within the organization because everybody's really focused on the numbers or they're focused on the metrics or they're focused on something else and the customer just becomes secondary. So it really is a shift in the way we talk. It's a shift in the way we think. It's a shift in our language too, you know? And so um, it ultimately then does become the way that we do things around here. So it's really important. The idea of customer centricity needing to start at the top, or at least be continually reinforced from the top, is similar to a recent conversation I had with best-selling author Gene Bliss. If you want to learn more about that executive level buy-in, also give that episode of the podcast a listen. Not before you're done with this one. Keep keep listening. And you talk about this idea that you need to first understand the customer and you know truly understand them and then ensure that they're part of the thought process of every decision. So so let's break that down a little bit. Like what is understanding the customer truly look like and what are the common mistakes that you see people making when they're trying to learn more about their customer? So I say there are three ways to understand the customer. And I'll actually just step back for a second and say, in the book, I talk about, it's one of the 10 principles. It's customer understanding is the cornerstone of customer centricity. And I wish I had the graphic here, but maybe I'll send it to you so that you can post it with the show notes and stuff. But the graphic is, if you know what a cornerstone is, it's the first stone that's laid on a foundation and every other stone gets laid around that, right? And so... The graphic that I came up with for that really just sort of illustrates how important customer understanding is and how it is that cornerstone. So there are three ways to understand the customer. And and I say that understanding is really about seeing and feeling and hearing the customer and learning about the customer and getting in their heads and hearts, really seeing everything through the eyes of the customer. So three ways, I call them listen, characterize, and empathize. So listening is all about feedback, however you either ask for it or customers leave it. And then 
also about what I call the breadcrumbs of data that they leave behind as they interact and transact with the brand. And so if we, we marry that customer data with the feedback, you know, we have a really nice picture of what the experience is like for customers today and how well or, or not well we're meeting their expectations and performing against those. The second way is characterize, which is all about doing the research, talking to customers and developing customer personas, really getting into the heads and hearts of your customers, really finding out who they are, what their pain points are, what problems they're trying to solve, what jobs they're trying to do, and creating these personas. And you have to talk to customers to create personas. I hear so many stories about people just sitting around with a bunch of stakeholders and trying to figure out who their customers are that way. But you actually have to, you actually have to talk to customers. You can't understand customers without talking to them. And then the third way is what I call empathize. And that's all about journey mapping, right? So we're we're walking in our customers' shoes to really understand step-by-step step what that experience is. And, and again, this is with customers. Customers are doing the mapping. We bring in customer feedback and data into that map as well. And what we really are capturing here, for the most part, we can capture other details about the experience as well. But the three main components of that are, what is the customer doing? What is the customer thinking? And what is the customer feeling? And that really gives us a great picture of the experience today so that we can then you know, transform it tomorrow. So, so those are the three ways and the, and the things that I see that go wrong. There's probably two big mistakes that I see when companies are doing this work. Number one, focus on the metrics <laughs> rather than focusing on what they're hearing, right? Focusing on the feedback and focusing on what customers are telling them about the experience. So that's the first one is just focusing on the metrics. And the, the second one is not doing anything with what you learn. I call it collecting feedback, like collecting stamps, right? You get all this great feedback, <laughs> you know, with a collecting stamps. My dad collected stamps, right? He'd go to the post office, get the get the sheet of stamps that he wanted, put it in the book, put the book on the shelf and open it up again next year or whenever, you know, when there was another stamp plate that he wanted to put in his book. And I, I, and I see that happening at companies too. You know, you get this feedback, maybe you analyze it ad nauseum and then you do nothing with it. You put it on a shelf and, and it stays there. So I, I, I call collecting feedback, collecting stamps. <laughs> It's probably a combination of that on that last point around collecting, not doing anything with it. I think sometimes we collect data just to confirm what we already know, right? Like we're just looking for something that says like, oh, this is, I think people want to pay more for our product. And then we, you know, cherry pick the data. And then I think the other side too is it's just kind of a box for people to check sometimes, right? Like they don't actually really care about it. They just want to say like, yeah, we survey our customers. We're, we're customer centric, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And another thing you've talked about, I want to go into the metrics in a bit, but I think another thing that you've talked about in previous interviews is a lot of times people are collecting this data wrong. Like they're not actually collecting data to try to genuinely learn about the customers and what they want. They're collecting data to try to game the system. Like you incentivize a high NPS score. And so people will send out surveys and they say like, hey, my bonus is tied to this. Would you mind rating me a five out of five on this? And you're not actually trying to get like meaningful data from, right? Is that, is that like a very big problem when people are surveying customers? Oh yeah. You know, it is, it is, it actually is. I started my career in this profession 30 years ago, this 30 years ago this year <laughs> at JD Power and Associates. Happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> JD Power and Associates, it's well known for their automotive indices, right? And, you know, you go and you buy a car. It's not as bad today as it was back then, but it's still bad because I bought a car about six months ago and it was still bad. So after you're done with the whole deal, they're like, hey, you're going to get a survey in the next day or two 
I need you to rate me a 10 out of 10 or a five out of five, whatever it is. Here's a free car wash. Here's a free oil change. Here's a free Sam's Club membership, whatever it is. Like they've given stuff away because they're begging for their bonus. They're begging for their commission. They're begging for the next pay raise, you know, and it's not a good experience for the customer and it's not a good experience for the employee. I mean, it's such a crappy, that crappy thing that, you know, have the employee do to ultimately beg for their paycheck, right? So I've been in other stores too, where a CVS, I remember a couple of years ago, I went into CVS and the cashier handed me the receipt and then she slipped me a candy bar and she said, there's a link there for a survey. Would you mind rating me five out of five on the survey? And I'm thinking, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it, you know? So, so that's the kind of behavior. And again, like I said, it's not good for customers and it's certainly not a great experience for employees either. So how do you conduct these surveys and what do you incentivize to actually get genuine feedback? Like, do you start incentivizing just people to complete the survey regardless of what it is? Like, how, how do you make sure that you're properly gathering feedback where your sole goal is, I just want to get better. I don't care what it is. I just need to get better. Like, how do you, how do you perform these surveys? What do you incentivize? I actually, I am not a fan of incentives. Quite honestly, I am not a fan of incentives because it does ultimately drive the wrong behavior. It gets people to take the survey just because they want the incentive, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm not a fan of incentives. I'm purely talking about surveys. I'm not talking about anything like focus groups or, you know, those kinds of things where it's taken people's time, hours to participate in that. But for surveys, the biggest incentive that a company can give to a customer is to take that feedback, listen to what was said, and go and make changes. And this is where a lot of companies fall down too, is they don't close the loop with customers. And if we close the loop with customers and say, I heard you, here's what we're doing, here's what we're improving, here's what the experience is going to be like going forward, that's the incentive for customers to come back and continue to provide feedback. That's the way to incent customers is to take the feedback, tell them that they were heard, and use that feedback. And once you start on that cycle, then customers go, oh, all right, well, they're listening. So yeah, I'm gonna continue to provide feedback. So that's the incentive right there. And on this understanding customers, like how much of it is a point in time thing? You know, obviously if you don't really know your customers, you have to put forward this process and try to understand them. But then I'm imagining you have to then keep revisiting this, right? You need to keep doing these surveys, keep doing these focus groups, keep looking for those breadcrumbs. Like what processes do you put in place to make sure this is a recurring thing where you're always trying to learn about your customer? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different types of surveys. So there's transactional surveys and there's relationship surveys. So you've got to get yourself on a cadence. This could be a whole podcast in and of itself to talk about this, but you have to get yourself on a cadence of, you know, let's say, for example, you're going to ask for feedback from customers after they've completed a customer service interaction. So you've got to set it up so it's automated through your voice of the customer platform or whatever platform you're going to use to ask for that feedback. So you really do have to just set up the process and, and get it automated. I'm making it sound really simple. There's a lot that goes into that to plan your whole VOC effort and then obviously to use what you're hearing. But there is certainly a process that needs to be put in place for that. And so once you have this initial understanding of the customer, you say like an important step is actually putting them in the decision-making process. You're making a decision, something's going to impact the customers thinking about them. What does that practically look like when you're a customer service agent, you're a CSM and a SaaS company, like how do you make sure that those frontline employees, middle managers, everybody is actually thinking about the customer? What sort of ongoing processes are you making? What checks and balances do you have there? There's a couple of things and that pertain to feedback specifically, right? So if we, when we get feedback from our customers, 
we want to make sure that it gets out to the departments that need to act on it. If there's specific feedback about employees, we need to get it to those employees and use that feedback for coaching. So the feedback itself needs to be shared and, you know, it needs to be socialized and it needs to also be operationalized, right? It needs to be used. There are a lot of other ways that we can bring the customer into the organization and and have the customer front and center. I think I mentioned this earlier. So in conversations, in meetings, you know, start the meetings with customer stories, right? Don't start the meetings with metrics and where we are in terms of revenue for the year and those kinds of things. I think everybody knows those numbers. I guess we usually get hit over the head with them every day kind of thing. Start your meetings with customer stories, customer success stories, customer whatever, good, bad, you know, whatever stories about the customers. So start to bring, like I said earlier, change the language, change the way we speak, change those kinds of things. We can do customer interviews, bring customer you know, and show them throughout the organization, whether it's on monitors throughout the offices or it's, you know, on an internet page where employees can go to see that kind of feedback. We can share our personas, hang them on the walls and make sure that uh, employees are, you know, they're bombarded with who our customers are day in and day out, right? Create animations or, or videos or stories about these personas, role play the personas, right? And get employees familiar with who they are so they can really be thinking about who the customer is when they're doing their work. Bring real customers in, you know, bring a real customer into a meeting that obviously affects, you know, something that you're going to do that's going to affect the customer. Jeff Bezos and Howard Schultz both popularized the notion of that empty chair, right? Jeff Bezos has an empty chair in his e-staff meetings that represents the customer. So if they're having a conversation or when he was having a conversation about whatever it was, that empty chair would always be the, hey, what would the, what would the customer think of this? How will this impact the customer? Howard Schultz took it a step further and put two chairs in his meetings and and one was for the customer and one was for the employee. So, you know, journey maps, you know, when we do the journey maps, share them out with the organization, help employees see how they impact the customer experience. A lot of times employees, frontline employees think they're the only ones that impact the customer experience and back office employees are like, "Mm, we don't, not my thing, right? But when we do the journey mapping and we do the service blueprinting and, and, and go through the whole journey mapping process, employees get to see the connection between what they do and how that impl- impacts the experience the customers having. So just some of the ways that we can bring the customer in and keep the customer front and center and keep that conversation going. This is an important point. If we want our employees to always think about the customers, maybe we always need to be talking about the customers. It's not that we should never spend time on high-level metrics like revenue or churn numbers, but by starting every meeting talking about our customers, By constantly asking how this or that decision will impact our customers, we can hopefully instill this idea that truly everything should be about the customer. And I've hopefully instilled this idea in you by saying the word customer 8,000 times in the last 30 seconds. So much of the stuff we've we've said needs to start at the top, right? You need need that executive level buy-in for it. But if I'm a frontline employee, I'm a middle manager, and I want to you know, try to drive this change, try to, you know, help drive this customer-centric culture. What are the things I can do as not a top-level employee to start getting our executive team to to think in this way? Yeah, you know, it's it, that's a great question. And, and I think that there's a couple of things that have to happen, right? You absolutely do need to have 
leadership commitment, not even buy-in commitment and alignment. Because if you don't, then it's, you know, the the work that lies ahead to actually transform the culture to be one that's customer-centric is going to stall out, right? There's building the business case. There's always building the business case, right? So we've got to do that. The one thing that we can do, and and I and I say that you know culture is top down, but it's also bottom up, right? There's this grassroots groundswell that we really want to have within the organization that is going to help us build this culture that we're trying to build, and and certainly um, we want employees to rally around what it is that we need to do. So one of the things that we include, and this is so funny because this is a chapter in the book. This is one of the foundational principles that I didn't include in the original final manuscript of the book. And then a couple of weeks later, I woke up in a sweat going, how did I I forget that chapter? And it's all about governance, right? And governance is about oversight and execution, but it is that grassroots groundswell that we're looking for, right? It's cross-functional committees that get together to, whether it's act on the feedback and get the feedback out to the different departments and figure out how we're going to improve the customer experience at that level. Or there's also a culture committee. And that culture committee is one, again, it's a cross-functional committee and takes a look at, hey, what can we do to elevate or amplify this culture that we're trying to um, build here? So that's how I would go about doing it from the bottom-up approach. So if I understand this correctly, you're literally dreaming about customer experience and you're waking up in a sweat thinking about stuff that you should have put in the book. <laughs> I was at that time. <laughs> I had 122 days to write the book, right? So it was it was yeah, it was like 24/7 kind of thing for 122 days. So yes. <laughs> Hopefully those days are behind you. Hopefully you're not waking up in cold sweats yes. anymore. Uh, you said you don't like the idea of incentives, right? But I think companies love to incentivize people, right? Like we need to get everybody kind of moving in the same direction. And obviously, whenever you create an incentive, you create a disincentive, right? So when we reward our salespeople with a commission to just sell more, guess what they do? They just sell more. They don't think like, is this right for the customer? So are there things that you think we can incentivize within a company that can get everybody moving in the right direction? Like, are there certain things that you can actually measure in some way that doesn't create a negative incentive that can get everybody to be more customer-centric or are all incentives bad? No, I don't think all incentives are bad. I think the what they incent are bad or they drive, to your point, they drive the behavior that, you know, if you're going to incentive, if commission is an incentive, the salespeople are going to just sell, sell, sell at all costs, right? So, so for me, incentives, when it comes to customer experience and the work that we need to do, I'll give you two things that you can incentivize. One of them is behaviors. If we get feedback from a customer who said, man, that, that, and that was awesome. She did X, Y, and Z. She went the extra mile, blah, blah, blah incentivize that, reward that, right? The other thing is, is that when we get this feedback and we know we need to make improvements, let's incentivize based on the improvements that are made rather than the metric itself. Let's incentivize the work that's being done to improve the experience. So those are two things that I would incentivize. I love those because those are kind of soft things that aren't just driving sales. They're rewarding people for going above and beyond. I know Zappos really does that or did that a lot, like everything I've read about Zappos. So before we go into our, our final wrap-up question, is there anything around customer-centric cultures that you feel like we haven't talked about that would be good to get in here? What do you what do you wish more people knew? What did people get wrong? What haven't we covered? <laughs> well, here's the thing that we haven't even talked about yet, and this is the employee experience. We talk about a customer-centric culture, so it feels like it's all about customer experience. But one of my 10 foundational principles is actually that employees must come more first 
And that's not a typo. That was something that Hal Rosenbluth said in his book, The Customer Comes Second. He basically said, if the customer comes first, the employee has to come more first, right? So we know the employee experience drives the customer experience. If we don't have employees, we're not going to have anybody to make the product, sell the product, service the product, ser- you know, deliver the service, whatever. you know. So employees are critical to the customer experience. And so we need to make sure that we put them first or more first, I should say. So I think one of the important things to know about a customer-centric culture, I mean, I could have called it people-centric, right? Because it really is about the people and putting the people ahead of everything else that we're doing. So just wanted to make that point that the employees are not forgotten in this. It's a critical part of developing that culture, building that culture, and then delivering on the experience. So employees have to really be taken care of. So they're a major part of this book for sure. So this podcast should be all about the customer and the employees, all about the people, perhaps. All about the people, yes. All about the people. people. There you go. I always like to end these interviews off trying to make this, you know, really actionable for the people at home. So what's low-hanging fruit? What's one thing that people can do today, tomorrow, that can get them one step closer to being a more customer-centric organization? I would say the one thing that you should do is go and take a look at your core values, evaluate your core values, right? Make sure that you've got some customer-driven values in there. And if not, add one. I use this example a lot of a client recently, it was last year, almost two years ago now, who was having issues with the front line, whether it was sales or service, whoever it was, constantly butting heads with customers, constantly, you know, I I want to say fighting, that's a really strong word, but just you know, they just felt like customers were always trying to get something right, you know? And so the conversations would be really edgy and really tough. I'll make it a short story because obviously it's a much longer story than this, but we took a look at their core values and we said, you know what, we need to add a core value around customer trust. And we added that value, define the behaviors, acceptable and unacceptable, socialized, operationalized. And and I reached out to the client a couple of months later and I said, how are things going? You know, now that we've added that core value. And she said, everything is so much easier now. People just know what they need to do. I mean, it's, it, it seems shocking. You know, obviously it took a while and there's a lot of work that goes into doing that. That's my actionable, you know, takeaway here is to just go take a look at your core values. Do you have any customer driven values in there? And if not, it may be time to, <laughs> to rethink your values and, and update them. And even if you've got some values that might be borderline customer driven, making sure you define those behaviors, right? When you define those behaviors, wrap it around the customer, wrap around the people too. It's terrific. Well, Annette, thanks so much for being on the show. Built to Win, it's available anywhere fine books are sold or it can be downloaded or listen. Is there an audio book? Do you read the audio book? No audiobook yet. I can do that, but it's a little time consuming. So it is available in uh, paperback and in a lot of different sort of electronic versions, Kindle, Nook, iBook, whatever. So yeah, absolutely. There, I, I think they told me there's 39,000 outlets around the world that you can buy the book from. So there you go. So there's no excuses for people not to be able no to find excuse. the book. <laughs> absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Annette. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Customer centricity can't just be a sometimes thing. If we're looking to transform our organizations into ones that are truly customer obsessed, everyone in the company needs to constantly think about the customer. You can't just think about your customers on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Whether you're tackling high level sweeping objectives like your go-to-market strategy or pricing, or it's a CSM trying to figure out how to deal with a customer complaint, every action you take impacts the customer. Your company's making hundreds of decisions every day maybe thousands of decisions, maybe millions of decisions. 
Okay, probably not millions, but definitely a lot. As a leader, you can't possibly be involved in every decision. So if you want everyone bringing in the customer to each and every thought process, you need to build that cultural foundation. You need to give your teams the North Star that they're always pointing to, the framework for how to solve problems while living up to company values. If you're looking to build a customer-centric culture, I hope this was a good starting point. To learn more, you can find Annette's book, Built to Win, pretty well anywhere you buy books. This has been the All About the Customer podcast, brought to you by Influitive. I've been Dan Kalmar, and you've been you. Thanks for that.